Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by the man known as Spanky Sports on Twitter. Spanky, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by the man known as Spanky Sports on Twitter. Spanky, thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it, Jay. Thanks for having me. So, Spanky, how did you get started in sports betting? Most people will understand pretty quickly that you have an American accent. And So what was your entry into the business, or, or how did it all begin for you? Well, uh, growing up, I was always a gambler. Uh, my mother taught me you know, how basic addition and subtraction with playing cards. So I, I always had gambling in my family. It was just natural for me. You know, in high school, college, I would play poker, read a lot of blackjack books. Um, once I got of age to be able to go into casinos, I would, you know, play blackjack and play banking, slot machines, and progressive video poker. Anything that had an edge, I was always fascinated with finding a way to beat the house and to try to turn the odds in my favor. Um, when it came to sports, my first introduction ever to sports betting was when I was in high school. I used to run parlay cards uh, for a bookmaker out of Hoboken, and um, you know I saw how much money that was involved in, and I was always like, "Wow, you know this guy's like printing money." I was always wondering if I could maybe turn it around and find a way to beat these bookmakers and 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 have the odds in my favor. You know, one day I was sitting in a pizzeria and I was a basketball game was on and. I was in college at the time in university, and I was uh, I studied computer science and finance. In my comp sci class, I kind of learned how to download web pages, HTML web pages, and and from the web, and, and I parsed them with Perl, and uh, uh, which is a programming languages, and I would use Java to download the pages. And my finance classes, I was learning basic probability, expected value. So kind of thinking maybe I could try to combine these two things and try to find out what you know half points are worth. Um, so I purchased data. I, I kind of crunched some numbers, and I kind of knew what you know learned fast what half points were worth in football and basketball. And I developed software to look for discrepancies in the market. And I started off middling and scalping games. Scalping is the finance for you know for arbitrage in our, in our business. And I, I was just you know just starting off middling and scalping, and then that's my first start in the business. There's a lot to unpack there. Take me back to the poker and blackjack days. What was that like? Did you find an edge that you could exploit for a while, or how did that unfold? Yeah, you know, in, in the blackjack, you know, like I, in Atlantic City, the Claridge Casino. Used to have this surrender blackjack game that was pretty pretty good, and I was playing a little bit of that. And again, this was nothing, you know. Again, I was just a college student, so I would do it so, and I was just trying to make a little extra money, a little extra spending cash. But I just loved, I loved having the odds in my favor, just a high where you're not supposed to, you know what I mean? You know, all the casino all the players that go into a casino don't have the edge uh, for the most part. 
So I enjoyed that. And, and with poker, I, you know, I enjoyed that too. I'm probably a break even or even losing poker player, uh, you know, slightly loser. Or maybe I'm a big loser in today's market, but, uh, but back then I was probably a slight loser. But I still enjoyed it. I, it was fun for me, and I, I studied the game, and I always wanted to turn the tables in my favor and find a way to win. You know, it, it came to the sports is, is where I'm at today. That You know, that was back 18 years ago when I was doing all that, 19 years ago. Um, so it's been a long time. Do you think the experimenting and studying and, and trying to find an edge in different games has helped you in sports betting? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just learning basic probability and then finding out what a, uh, an expected value is and, and then just all these basic probability classes I took and it definitely helped me. I, I, I learned a lot and, you know, just like anyone else that starts off in gambling, you pay your tuition, you pay your school fees, your dues and you learn and you, you know, you learn by losing. Thank God I didn't have much to lose back then, <laughs> but, uh, but I was just a college student, but I learned and I learned that, you know, you know, bankroll management, money management and, and discipline and, you know, there was a, you know, I, and I read several books. That's one thing I always, I always read so much and I've read, you know, there's crappy books and there's great books. And, and even the crappy books, you could take some good stuff out of, you know, there was a, a, an author by the name of John Patrick and he, you know, he's, he's a lot of the stuff he says is, 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 is just, you know, it's, it's rubbish, but at the same time, you know, he does say a lot of things, you know, bankroll management, money management, discipline, and, and these things, you know, you try to take nuggets out of everything you read, um, and that helped me to where I'm at today. So take us back to New Jersey, you know, 18, 20 years ago, you mentioned, what was the mentality like around potentially having a life in, in blackjack or sports betting or poker? Was it accepted at all? Was it, what would you tell your, your parents or your mother when you came home and said, I want to do this for a living? Yeah, you know, up until about six, seven years ago, my mother asked me, what am I, you know, what am I doing with my life? Uh, so yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, gambling for a living is, is completely taboo. Everyone thinks that you're crazy and you don't know what you're doing and it's hard, you know, and everybody to, to be accepted by your family and, and, it, it was very difficult to do that, and, and nobody believed it. And you just have to, you have to believe in yourself, and you have to just go through it. The markets back, the the, the blackjack market. You know what I mean? All the best games were, were were not in, were not where I'm at. You know, BJ21, Stanford Wong would have these websites where they kind of tell you if you're a blackjack member. I think, if I remember correctly, where they would tell you where the best games were. And even then, some of those games, you know, a lot of a lot of these guys would never kind of divulge the best games and, and and i wasn't really looking to travel on the west coast and, and 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 go to different places but i was fascinated i was a part of that community i loved it and i loved reading about it and again it was just a side gig for me it was just something i loved i read all the major blackjack books it was it was just a passion take us to the moment when you took the leap into sports betting was that something you prepared for for a while and was ready for or was that something that you sort of tiptoed your way into until you became you know full-time at it and doing it for a living after uh, after leaving university i started working for deutsche bank and that's when i got this you know thing at this pizzeria i was watching this basketball game and i said you know what? let me try what i learned in school let me try to program this stuff so i started you know using this i, I developed software i analyzed discrepancies in the market but i still was at my regular job i wasn't going to quit and i was doing it at nights and weekends and i would just you know scalp games you know back then 
you the discrepancies of, of all these different sports books were just unbelievable and they lasted for so long you know you could you know one sports book would have a minus three on a game another one would have a minus five and that would just sit there for hours and and you know this was the early you know 2000 2001 the internet was still relatively young i guess and then sports betting was probably three four five years it's in an infancy stages online and nobody really looked at anybody else's lines you know don best was still young then where you could see a, a snapshot of all the different lines from all the different sports books so it, everything was everything was just was ripe for the pickings and it was a great time to come up because you didn't have to be that great. You just had to, you know, in middling, uh, my, my risk was just so minimal. I, I didn't risk much at all. You know, there was several different promotions back then, different bonuses. It was just, it was insane. You know, guys would give you 20% to make a deposit and everything, you know, it was just like, you know, you're, you're you know, you send them two grand and, and you're sitting there with 2,400 in your account and you do that to two different places and you, you find a scalp, you bet the whole thing on one place, bet the other thing, you know, opposite team on another place and you wind up with 4,800 in one place and zero and, you know, you call up the guy where, you know, you, you lost your money at and you sound all sad, but in all reality, you, you know, you're making money and the, you know what I mean? And then the guy will say, oh, I'll give you 25% if you, if you send more money. And it was just, it was just, just that, you know what I mean? I wasn't really more of like the bonus hunting type thing. That wasn't my thing, but I still definitely took advantage. I wasn't going to deny bonuses. And, and it was just a great time. The moving the money around was great. PayPal, you could actually send money to to sportsbooks offshore using PayPal for a while. And then NetTeller was the major payment processor back then, where it was just easy to move money from one sportsbook to another. It was it was fabulous. Great time to come up in a business. So, what was the community like? Did you have a, a handful of close friends also doing it? Did you know anyone else doing it at all, or was this just a uh, something that started as more of a hobby that developed, and then at, at a certain point, it was you were all in on it. Yeah, it was just definitely. You know, was, I was doing it on weekends and, and 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 nights. It was just more of a hobby, but I started making more money as this side gig than I was at my regular job, and that's when I kind of took the leap and said, you know, that's it. I'm going full time, and that's when you know my mother would have an uproar. I was just married then, and my wife would say, you know, I was making a good salary. And, you know, everyone was like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? You got a good salary. You went to school. You went, you, you did all this school and the studying. And uh, I got really good grades at school. And you're going to give all this up to be a gambler for a living? Like, are you nuts? And it's hard. You know, there's a lot of negative feedback from everyone. And I just stuck to my guts. I said, listen, the proof's in the pudding. It's not like I'm doing this without having any evidence of it I'm, I'm i'm making money doing this on the side and and i could definitely at least match if not exceed what i was doing at my regular job so i definitely you know it, it was it was i took the leap which you said about if i had colleagues or anything no I, there was nobody around me that was doing it i had a partner him and i went in it together who worked with me at deutsche bank and um we decided to take the leap together but other than that, there was you know nobody else that I knew. I kind of had to meet everybody along the way. Looking back, were there things that you weren't prepared for or that you wish you knew in advance uh, getting into the, the sports betting area? 
what I was prepared, the most prepared for is I knew how to win. You know what I mean? I knew um, just by middling and scalping. I couldn't have to handicap a thing. Um, I wasn't even into the handicapping back then. I just knew how to look for discrepancies, and I kind of, you know, had my hand on the pulse, knowing exactly why lines were moving and then what's happening in the markets and which sports books would have a sharp NBA line, and the sports book that had a sharp NBA line might not have a sharp college basketball line. And, you know, this guy, look out for his NFL lines. He's really good. So you start learning these things, and, um, and I would go down to Costa Rica. Um, and I became very friendly with those sports books. I, you know, a lot of people had this idea of, you know, if this guy's a sports book, at the end of the day, we're trying to take your money and, I'm try- and they're trying to take my money. But we could still be friends and um, we could still use each other in a way that makes our, both of our business positive. You know, I wish that existed today, but we could get into that a little later. But, yeah, it was, you know, I'm very friendly today to, you know, all the sports books I, I met 17 years ago. Um, when I was down in Costa Rica, I'm, several of them are still there, and I'm still very friendly with uh, a lot of the main guys there, and um, they're the best guys, you know, great guys to know, and then just good people. We kind of help make both of our businesses stronger. What I was least prepared for, you know, I was I was naive. I didn't um, I didn't really think that, you know, I thought everybody was just a legitimate company, and these are just dot coms, and you know, I didn't realize I could get stiffed unregulated market you know so there was no uh oversight nobody's looking at it you know i can't go to a judge and and or file a police report and say betxyz.com didn't pay me and you know help and they'll be saying what the hell are you doing even playing with these guys you know you took a few lumps back then and guys didn't pay and you know you kind of did your due diligence then and you kind of developed a reputation you know, I, I, you know, when I first started, it was all post up. So everything, you know, you'd have to send the money and have the money posted up in sports books. And then soon, one guy took a chance on me and, you know, was sick of paying the net teller fees for me sending money back and forth. So uh, he decided to give me credit. And then soon I kind of parlayed that and I would tell another guy, hey, listen, this guy's giving me credit. Why don't you give me credit also? So he said, oh, really? And he checked up on me. And that's how my reputation grew. I always paid everybody when I lost, and I had a good name in the business, and I was trying to develop that name. That's what helped me succeed and keep succeeding as the time went on. So those that weren't holding their reputation up as the most important thing, did they sort of fall away after a while, and they just couldn't function within the the you know the ecosystem of what it was like back then? Yeah, you know, sports books back then, like I said, they would have aggressive bonuses, they would have aggressive promotions. You know, one of the one of the ones that. I remember the most was a place called Sports Market slash Aces Gold, and they would deal, they would deal uh, No Juice Fridays, where every game was just no juice. It was even money on everything. And they, on top of that, they would let you buy on or off the NFL 3 for $0.10, cents, which is, you know, wow. which is, it's a bargain, you know. So, you know, it, it was crazy. It, it was just back then, guys were just, they just... They just wanted the business. They didn't, you know, and they said, hell with it. Let's just do it. And they'd take shots. You know what I mean? I remember Aces Gold. That time, it was, I think, 2002, the Super Bowl. And it was St. Louis, New England. I think the spread was 14. And that's kind of the time in which Pinnacle was coming up. And Pinnacle, I remember, dealt a 13.5 on that game. And Aces Gold dealt a 14.5 on that game. And that's the game that, you know, New England was such a heavy dog, 14-point dog. They wound up winning outright, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. That's, you know, soon after that, that's when they went bankrupt, Aces Gold. And, you know. 
a lot of these guys are promotions. You know, I remember the place, you know, just, just off the top of my head, Carib, there was a place called Carib Sports that dealt O2 Tuesdays where you'd be able to lay O2 on any, every NFL game on Tuesdays. There was O5 Fridays in several different places, places like Bet All World, Top of the World Sports. You know, there was Loose Lines. There's just so many different places, so many guys trying to compete, trying to get that dollar from the consumer here in the United States. And it was just very aggressive and it got too aggressive. And guys would get have to get either they would go bankrupt, get bailed out by another sports book or swallowed up by another sports book. And only, you know, only the best uh, survived. It sounds fascinating. Was it, did it evolve into a more corporatized, not necessarily professional, but more structured and organized sort of business uh, for the, a lot of these sports books? Or was it run pretty haphazardly? And, you know, you mentioned before people were taking shots. Did they become more sophisticated in their operations so that they would never get to a point where they could go bankrupt or was it really the wild wild west uh, a little bit of both you know th- th- there are some sports books that really ran it like a tight ship and then and, and they did everything they could and then there's other guys that just said hell with it you know what i mean uh, let's there's guy you know you knew when somebody you know you'd have slow pays people would start off you'd request you know you request a withdrawal and it's you know they'd delay you they wouldn't answer your phone calls and you'd you know a week would go by two weeks would go by and you'd know that oh shit something's going on here and then you would just hear there'd be rumblings you know what i mean i kind of you know to hear from what other sports books are saying, hey, you know, hey, I wanted to do a transfer to this sports book, and the sports books would say, ah, oh, no, nah, I, um, I can't accept a transfer from those guys. We're not doing transfers with them anymore. So that's when you're like, huh, why not? You know, everything was good a couple of weeks ago. So stuff like that started happening, and then you kind of, you know, it, it's it's a lot of the times you got to just be lucky, and you got to hope that you don't have a big balance in a lot of these places yeah. when they go belly up. And I'm, I had balances in a lot of places. I just didn't have death blows. Um, you know, I lost money in a lot of these sports books that went belly up, but you know, it was never enough to to. to, to I not I got knocked down. I just wasn't knocked out. So, and that's just luck. You know, I, I just get, just got lucky there. I, there's nothing nothing skillful about that, man. It was uh, it was the Wild West in essence. Let's talk price. Unlike bookies and totes, the Betfair Exchange is a low margin buy sell fixed odds marketplace where the value stays with the punter, not the house. Ready for the game within the game? Join betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So take us through some of your sort of major strengths that that help you, you know, get through and have those winning months and winning weeks and winning days and also some of the weaknesses that you need to obviously, like everyone else, continue to work on. Yeah, you know, I I think a major strength is is knowing every aspect of my business. You know, I'm the software developer. I'm the better. I'm the guy who's doing the pays and collects and meeting all the bookmakers. So I think that's a major strength. And another major strength, I believe, is my reputation. Um, my reputation in this business is everything. You know, we're unregulated. I made several big time deals just on a handshake and I've always paid everybody when I lost. Um, and that's an important thing, you know what I mean? In this business, you got to have a great reputation to know, to have people want to do business with you when it comes to weaknesses. Um, I really don't have any, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) Uh, no weaknesses you know what i mean i think weaknesses for us is probably european markets i really have never gotten into that a lot of the lines are moving at uh at, at three four o'clock in the morning our time here so it's, it's just i never really got into that and, and live betting i always wanted to get into 
but that's one of those things. I know it's massive over in Europe, and it's becoming, it's blowing up here. I just never got into it, and I think if I ever did get into it, it'll probably knock ten years off my life. So I'm probably gonna just uh, just pass on it. But I, I, you know, I wish that uh, that I did get in, that it was prevalent when I was coming up, but it just wasn't around, you know, fifteen, twenty years ago. So your approach and process to betting sports. You sort of said you started out with. Scalping and arbitrage and even middling. Yes. Has that sort of changed or evolved over the years as the markets changed? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? We're we're still listen. I'm still I'm always going to be middling games. Um, now the different things. You know, I'm able to have a bankroll enough of a bankroll where I'm actually willing to gamble uh, a decent amount on games. But middling and scalping was was my number one thing to try to build my bankroll up. And and it was that's when it started. It, it, I needed to middle and scalp games where my risk was as close to zero as possible. You know, I don't even remember having a losing month back then. I was just printing money. The numbers were just always the math would always add up, and and I didn't have to sweat a game. I didn't even I didn't watch games like I. It was completely different than your typical sports better or, or sports book. I, I never watched the game. And I wasn't into that. I, you know, once the game started, my work was done. Yeah, that's always been a big thing. Um, now, even today, till you know, I, I don't, I don't really watch games. I, I you know, I, I barely even know two players on a team. You know what I mean? I, I, I everything is based on the line and the spread and, and and what what each line is worth and what our numbers. We have our own guys that they'll tell us, uh, and our, my, they'll tell us what what a line should be, and then it's it's all based on what that number is versus the market. These guys might know all the, you know, my guys that work for me. We'll know what these number, what the what the players are, and what this means. I came up not having to know any of that. You know, I I just just knew what what every half point was worth, and and how I could just move lines around and and and, and search for lines. You know, manipulate more. And there's so much shit, man. I mean, I, I could go into details for hours and hours, but it's um, <laughs> it, it's it's a lot of stuff going on. So when you have you mentioned you have a team there when when someone joins a team is there something that you try and teach them or is there something you look for or, or what's some of the first things you do when someone you know day one of their job with you whatever that might be do you sit them down and teach them bankroll management or what a half point in the NFL means on three and on seven and on fourteen or what is it like Yeah, it all depends if I'm going to have a trader that's in my office. You know, he, he's going to he's going to want to know a little bit of sports. He's going to want to know what all the half points are worth and, and stuff. But if I'm going to have a quant guy that's going to be doing a lot of handicapping, they're going to also want to know that stuff too. But it, you know, I want it, it. Sometimes it's better to not bring in the baggage knowledge that you know, and you, especially for a trader, I don't want you to think that for a trader, I, I want you to come in mostly knowing nothing and and let me show you exactly what it is you know if i if i say okay we make this game six and then you could disagree with me and you could just say oh yeah but you know uh tom brady's not this not what he once was you know everything's quantified unless you could quantify something for us it's not something that that i really need to hear especially from a new guy coming in um that's why i have my quants and i have my guys making the numbers for me um, so I don't, you know, for, so for a trader coming in, I kind of don't want them knowing too much about sports quants, you know, they could know, or they do know a lot of the stuff, but again, it's all based on data. Everything's data, 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 you know, so it's different depending on the role. Yeah. Okay. And is there any room for intuition or subjective analysis, you know, coming up with a number or is it 100% purely analytical and data driven? 
that all depends. I, I like to just be, you know, if I could, I'd like to go on autopilot if, if it was my choice. Of course, that's not that, you know, it's a, a model can never be perfect if it's completely data driven. There's always something there that's subjective and then that's, you know, unquantifiable um, or, or that you, can, you can't just put your hand on it. So, yeah, there's definitely intuition there. Uh, these are that's what that's what separates the good from the great i guess and it all depends on the sport and whatnot and you know i don't really want to plant ideas into people's heads and kind of you know reveal too much but yeah there's it's it's i like uh, me personally i like the uh, pure quantitative approach but there's more to it there's a you know there's still more to it than that so i have a weird random question for you teasers i grew up in australia there's no such thing as teasers i've lived in you know, Europe, Caribbean, and, and now in the U.S., but teasers are a massive part of U.S. culture when it comes to NFL especially. How do they? Do you know how they came about and what the reason for teasers is? I, I, don't, I don't know what the reason. I don't, know how the, and I don't know the history. I remember there used to be teasers, and I remember there was another thing called pleasers where you would actually give points instead of get points. And I remember there was another thing called action points where every half point that you kind of beat the spread by and a bookmaker stopped taking that a while ago would be more money in your pocket. So, you know, I don't know what the history of it was. Um, You're right, you know, on the key numbers with the teasers, that's definitely a positive EV thing that a lot of people, you know, I know Stanford Wong and his book, which was, you know, at the time was, 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 aha thing when he, when he published his book uh sharp sports but i think it was called you know that was like a big thing just these nfl teasers but um the history of it I, I really don't i can't really comment on that so you mentioned you have a very strong quantitative approach what about bankroll management how critical is it for you and your operation to make sure that you mentioned earlier discipline is a, a core tenant is that the most important thing yes coming up bankroll management was everything you know what I mean? your bankroll is very important you know, right now I'm at a point in which you know I don't think the market really can handle this. You know, I, I like the, I can handle the swings of the market's not big enough for me to um, at least the college markets, cause which, which is where we make most of our, our money at. It, it's not big enough really to kind of affect my bankroll, so to speak. NFL is a different story. NFL is a pretty big market for us, but yeah, bankroll is every is a big thing, and anybody coming up in a business would always be, be wise to adhere to, to bankroll management. It's, it's very important. So let's talk about the U.S. now. You've obviously been doing it for, for a long time, much longer than, than most here. What happened when the Supreme Court struck down the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act on May Fourteenth, two 2018? Did that have a fundamental change from day-to-day to your business? Did it have a minimal impact? What was the, the sense in your office or... Or wherever you were on that day. All, all honesty, it didn't change anything. Business as usual for us. You know what I mean? We're, we're. I don't know of any professional, um, and I, you know, I'm in touch with several professionals in the business that rely on, you know, just the Las Vegas market, or that just bet exclusively in Las Vegas. The Las Vegas market, um, compared to the offshore market, is is just it's it's nothing. It's just it's it's a drop in a bucket. Anybody that's betting. U.S. sports professionally is betting offshore because that's the way you can get down. You just need as many different, you know, different ways to be able to bet as much as possible if you have that edge. The United States market, even maybe, hopefully one day it will change. But as of now, I don't, I don't think it could accommodate. Uh, it could exclusively accommodate someone doing this as a professional. So a lot of people who follow you on Twitter would have seen a couple of videos that you've posted. For those that haven't, they should go and check them out and and. 
from your perspective, just take us through your experience so far in this newly regulated market. Right now, in, in this day and age, you know, back then when I when I was coming up, there was a hundred different bookmakers all at their own lines, um, and everybody was competing. Like I said, you know, in this day and age now, there's there's ten or twelve bookmakers, you know, 12, ten or twelve different line sets. Right now, we're in in the offshore markets. We're called the per head era, where guys are just you know, there's bookmakers are not really in Costa Rica or offshore. They're not really you know, booking out of Costa Rica, everything is just, it's just data centers that are actually moving numbers that are answering phone calls for guys that are trying to run their business from the United States. And, and that's what's happening. So guys are, the lines are all vanilla lines. Everyone's copying each other's lines. There's no, nobody wants to be unique. Nobody, you know, wants to go out there. Nobody, you know, back then everybody thought they were the best bookmaker in the world. Now it's just, you know, let me just have this guys write my business and, and for me, it kind of hurts me in essence because I used to love being able to shop around and look for different numbers. You know, by the same token, having 10 or 12 different line sets, there, it, it gives me room for to manipulate markets pretty easily and, and just make uh, – at my whim, I could just make any number move. You know, it cost me $500,000 and I, I could turn the whole screen black as they say. And you know, so which is you know, it's not you know, it's it, it it got fun in the beginning, but it's it's it it's just so dry now. You know what I mean? It's it's not what it used to be. I, I remember down in Costa Rica when I first visited there, one of the major bookmakers that was there, a guy by the name of Mister Green, he was a big bookmaker. You know, one of the most well-respected guys, and um, uh, you know, he invited me to his office, and I was just sitting there. You know, I'd see the bets coming in and all the clerks were there. You know, this is when, you know, phone betting was the primary type of betting. You know, it wasn't all internet. Internet was the minority and the phone was the majority. And then now soon that flip-flopped. But back then, you know, clerks were coming in and he would see the bets coming in. And, you know, a guy would come in, you know, say on the Yankees-Toronto game and some guy would bet 5000 and he would move the line. It was dealing a dime line. Let's just say the line was pick them both ways, minus 05. He would do, you know, move the line minus 11, six cents on a $5,000 bet. And then another guy would come in, bet him 100,000 on a different game. Let's just say on Casey Baltimore. And let's say the line was also pick him. And I remember him, you know, puffing his cigar and taking a puff. And, and I was thinking, my God, it's a $100,000 bet. He's probably going to move this line nine cents. You know what I mean? The, the most you could move it is going to go to minus 14. And he would just say, make KC minus 07. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, this is just like, it was crazy. And I'm just looking at him. He'd puff his cigar and he knew, you know, he knew his customers. He knew how to manage risk and he knew to move heavy on certain people. And, you know, the money, it, it just wasn't purely based on the amount. It was the customer coupled with the amount. It was just a real bookmaker. And then, and, and seeing that I was in awe and, you know, it was just, you know, it was unbelievable. To, to witness that, and it always stuck with me on the era of, of how bookmaking was and how real bookmakers existed and and how it was, you know, just, it was respected. And, you know, now we're in an era where if somebody has any idea of what they're doing, um, they're getting chased. It, it, it's just, uh, it's sad. Guys like William Hill, all these European sports books um, are unable to handle, you know, risk effectively without having to resort to the extreme measure, you know, of banning winners. And it, it sucks. It, it sucks for not just me. Of course, my interests are self-serving. Obviously, I'm, I, I want places to play into, 
but it sucks for anybody else because despite how the markets are all obviously uh, becoming more efficient, you know, players are getting smarter as well, and and, and players are finding ways to win. There's going to be players that are going to be able to win and then overcome that 52.38% to be able to cross over that threshold and, 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 and make money at this. For uh, the United States to be filled with a market that completely bans winners um, like it does in Europe is is just it's un-American. It's not right. Why should you be punished for being good at what you do? It, it's just you know what I mean. It, you know why can't these bookmakers find a way to use this information just like Mister Green did? He would use this information accordingly and mo- adjust his lines accordingly. Why can't that happen today? I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I wish it would. And I, do I have a solution for it? Hey, you know, I have, you know, there's different, you know, I'm not a bookmaker. So I, I, I can't, you know, I'm just a better. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I just wish bookmakers existed anymore. They, you know, I wish they existed. They don't exist anymore. Are there just none that exist and they all have the same sort of risk management style that you've encountered so far? Or do you think it's it could change at all in the future? There's still some. There's still, there's definitely, when I say none exist, I'm talking about in general, you know, the majority. There's always, you know, there's still your industry leaders offshore. They're still always going to be there. The bookmaker.eus of the world and the pinnacles and, and these guys. But those are few and far in between. There's, there's, there's very little left. Las Vegas, you know, at a time before William Hill kind of took over, you had a lot of places that would book bets, you know, Cal Neva, Leroy's, Lucky's. These guys had guys that knew what they were doing and they were bookmakers from a long time. They would book bets. And, you know, when William Hill kind of combined those guys and then just took over everything and didn't tolerate any winners or anything sharp, you know, it just, it's just a trend that sucks to see happening. Even David Purdom published in his ESPN in his article, uh, one of his articles saying that you know William Hill has a a, a, weed, a meeting every Wednesday just to find out who they're going to kick out. It's sad, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're, you're, you're and, and again, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to run their business. That's the way they run their business. They're very successful. God bless them. But at the same time, it's sad for for just us, for players that there's guys that I'm pretty sure that they banned that they probably miss uh, uh, they they thought they were winners but they completely classified them uh, incorrectly and they were actually losing long-term players but they just said heck with it it's better safe than sorry get rid of them because nobody knows about that and that's what i tried to do i kind of wanted to let the public understand that you know shit like this exists and and guys are going to boot you if you win it's it's not you know it's an underground thing people whenever you'd hear somebody i got kicked out of william hill and they were they're by the thousands People say, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah, right, you know, you're probably just trying to self-promote your tout service or you're probably just, you know, nobody would believe you. So, you know, me having it on video and I'm, I have nothing, I'm not self-promoting anything, I don't have a tout service, I don't sell pics, I don't do any of that. I'm just trying to change the landscape so maybe one one day my kid could run my business and, you know, not have to be filled with William Hills all over the United States and instead have Mr. Greens out there that know how to book that can book and, and effectively without having, you know, to ban players. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, no, that's, I'm sure, uh, many listeners as well. So tell me what part Las Vegas played, if at all, throughout the time you've been doing it. Would you regularly go out there? Have you got sort of friends and acquaintances and colleagues or whatnot that are located there? Was it a major component or was it not that big a part for you? Vegas was was a, was a big part back in 2010, 2011, 2012. I had a lot of, you know, I had guys in 
and different sports books out there. You know, the big one was Canner Technology, uh, Canner Gaming, which has now changed their name. Uh, but that was a big part of it. They used to book big time bets with us. You know, they were taking 40,000 on college football sides on a Tuesday at 11:30 a.m. Eastern, which is 8:30 a.m. Vegas time, and that's unheard of. That'll never happen again. I don't know if, if anybody will book that kind of that kind of number. 40,000 on a Tuesday for a Saturday game. They were, you know, they were they were bookmakers, and it came, and it just sucks. You know, I was involved with with something with them, and you know, some legal issues, which is. And a whole podcast by itself, probably, which you know we could address one other day. But you know, these guys were 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 doing the best they could to try to hold a smaller percentage on a lot more money, and they had the right idea. You know, they've run into now. It, it's just you know, once the main guy there, uh, Mike Colbert, who was running the show, once he got into the legal issue, then it, it just got to the point in which it just I, I believe it fell downhill from what people are telling me. You know, that they're moving on air using people as line services so if i'm trying to bet a game minus five they put you on a spin out delay and you know it's everything subject to approval so they'll probably check the market and they'll say oh shit the market's going to six hell with it why should we give him the bet let's just make it you know five and a half and maybe he'll just bite on that and and that's what's happening they're they're using sharp players as a line service it happens all over it happens all over the offshore world and it's now happening in Vegas with these these apps from what I understand what, what people are telling me and it sucks you know what I mean it's just guys are not booking anymore they're 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 just they're just the whole landscape has changed completely bookmakers don't exist everybody just wants to you know they only want to book a game from a guy if the world is painted six and they're dealing a six and a half they just want the guy to lay the six and a half taking a six and a half is is taboo no you can't do that it's crazy nobody knows how to again i'm just speaking for myself okay people might think that and again i'm not a bookmaker but from what i see from this side of the counter nobody can take a bet nobody books a bet anymore it's it's hard to find them and if there is somebody out there that, that can book a bet, please let me know because I'd love to be a customer. <laughs> <laughs> when sports bettors come up to you and, and ask for advice or aspiring younger people that might want to get into the field, what type of advice do you have for them? If somebody wants to come into the business now, I would tell them don't, honestly. Given the landscape and everything, it's completely it's, – it's changed from where, when I first started. It's, it's, it's very hard. You know, but if if somebody says, "Man, I really believe I could win. I back tested my models, and I've done this, I've done that. I, I have a lot of different accounts I get down in, and I got some weak numbers, and blah 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 blah." Then I would just reach out to me, and we could do something together. No, but no, I, I, <laughs> no, but I you know, what you got to do is you, you know, you can't you can't get lazy. You got to find a way. You know, I remember famous quote by michael jordan you know some people want it to happen some people wish it to happen and others make it happen you know i mean you you gotta just if you really believe in yourself and you really want to do it you gotta just go for it and just do it and 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 try to be the best you can be you know just like me i i had so many people tell me i was crazy and to be a pro gambler i guess it's more accepted today than it was you know, 17, 18 years ago, but it's still at the same time, you know, amongst an older generation, it's still like, you're going to be a professional game. It's crazy. But you know what? If you really believe in it, go for it. You know, nobody's going to stop you. The only person that could stop you is yourself. You just, you just, you got to believe in yourself and, and, and you can't rest on your laurels. You know what I mean? Don't, you know, if you have one successful day, one successful week, one successful month that, you know, that that's great, but it doesn't help tomorrow. You got to find a way to keep getting better, keep getting better. 
I remember another quote, Babe Ruth once said, yesterday's home runs don't win today's games. If I can remember it, something or something like that. Yesterday's home runs are don't, you know, it's it just, you can't worry about yesterday. You got to keep looking forward, keep trying to get better. And if you keep working at it, you know, you can be successful. What takes your fancy when you're sort of trying to find interesting content, whether it is books or articles or, or anything else? Well, you know, a lot of the, the books I, I, I read, you know, just for regular casino gambling advantage play, I, you know, there's a, a, a book, a famous book, James Grosjean, Beyond Counting. It's, it's Exhibit CAA. It's a very expensive book, but there's a lot of gems in there. Um, Advanced Advantage Play, that's another great book by Elliot Jacobson. Just trying to remember a few more. Conquering Risk, I like. Uh, Scorecasting, uh, Super Forecasting, Sharp Sports Betting, which is a classic. Stanford while we mentioned that. And, you know, when it comes to maybe, you know, gambling law, I always, you know, I'm interested in, in Professor Nelson Rose. His website's gamblingandthelaw.com. I'm a proud client of, of Professor Rose, and he always does like a monthly column. And he also made a book, Internet Gambling Law, way back when. But, you know, there, there's so many books to choose from. But those are some of my favorites just off the top of my head. So I got to ask you, you must have a, a fun uh, Vegas story. You must have a fun, just a general gambling or betting story that you have from all the years. I'm sure that there's probably a 50 or 100. But if you have one that stands out that you don't mind sharing. Yeah, uh, you know, I used to have runners in Vegas, you know, in a lot of the casinos, and um, you know, a lot of them would get kicked out here and there and stuff. And a lot of some, a lot of my runners were like older gentlemen. So I had this one guy. His name was Jay. He was an old Jewish guy, real nice guy, very honorable. Honorable's a days long, and um, and he was in the stratosphere. You know, he was batting and batting, and you know, we they had some pretty off numbers. This is probably a decade ago, and um, and he was batting there. All of a sudden, he calls me up and he tells me, he goes, uh, I've been carried out of the stratosphere. And I'm like, what are you, whoa, Jay, relax. You know, he's calling me up in a panic, huffing and puffing. I'm like, you know, he's a 75-year-old guy, 70, 75. What are you talking about, Jay? What happened? He goes, I was carried out of the stratosphere. And I'm like, what do you mean carried out? You were escorted out? No, I was carried out. I'm like, what do you mean carried out? He goes, they had one guy on each arm and they carried me out. I'm like, they just... <laughs> They, they just walked out with you. And he goes, no, my feet were off the floor. I was carried out. And I was like, holy shit. And we're probably betting a dime or two dimes a game. Nothing crazy. And and he was carried out. And this is a decade ago. And it's funny because, you know, you think that, you know, they see a lot of people say offshore gambling, you know, there's organized crime and all this. And, and look what happens in a regulated Las Vegas Strip Casino, where guys are, are, are just getting roughed up, a 75-year-old guy. All you had to do was just ask him to leave. He wasn't going to fight you. And and he was ca- physically, you know, I, you can't make this shit up. He was physically carried out, one guy in each arm, physically lifting him out and, you know, taking him to the door. So, um, I, you know, that was, that was probably the craziest uh, boot story. Um, where we got booted from a place that I've that that I've ever experienced. Yeah, that's very funny. I'm sure there's a million others that that are. Yeah, that there's are there there's a lot the more. Uh, not too many could top that <laughs> one though. That that's you know, that one. Uh, you know, and this guy was such a nice guy. You know what I mean? You, you get him a hot pastrami on Ryan at Kanish. He's in heaven. He doesn't. You know, very easy going guy. But man, he got roughed up that then, and, and you know, he kind of the you know. He, these guys are retired. They just do this, you know, making a little extra money on the side. But he uh, he earned his pay that day. 
recently in the US, there was a, a story that was probably very normal for many people who are listening to this, but uh, one punter was betting live just before a field goal attempt at the end of an NFL game and placed an in-game live wager on, um, I think it was the Broncos against the the Raiders, and he he got 750 to 1 or something like that, or 7,500 to 1 instead, and the bet, instead of being relatively small, ended up being an 82,000 uh, payout, and I think FanDuel was the book, said, yeah, we're, we're not paying you out as a palpable error, relatively normal thing, and he said, no, no, I want my money, and they offered him some a much smaller amount and some, I think, some box seats to a Giants game, and he said, no, I want my money, and then it went on for a few days, and there was a lot of hysteria in the media and eventually uh this guy got his got his money uh, i'm curious to get your thoughts and perspective on on this story yeah you know it's um it wasn't just him too i think other guys also caught it it wasn't just the one eight the one one guy had eighty two thousand. i think it was total maybe one hundred and fifty thousand total was paid out so there was a few guys that got it on this you know it, it's one of those things in which there's two sides of the coin one guys will say you know a bet's a bet you know you can't take it back you know whatever's written um, and then another one will say, listen, it's an obvious uh, error and, and, you know, uh, common sense should prevail. And I'm, I'm probably of the latter thought where that's obviously an, it's an obvious bad line. Um, it was a six to one favorite and the guys getting 750 to one. So at the same time, and I, I don't I, I think doing something like that and setting a precedent like that on such a big juice error is, is not going to be good long term because the casinos can never do that. Um, forever, you know, it, it plus seven fifty to one. Okay, it cost eighty k. If it was plus seventy five hundred to one, now we're okay. Now we're at eight hundred thousand, and then you, you know it keeps going on and on into the millions. God forbid. And then of course, to, you know, but if you set a precedent saying, hey, you paid it last time, why not pay it this time? I don't know. I. It's one of those things in which, like, you know, if you have a spreader, somebody's a 10-point favorite and you get plus 10 on them, you know, okay, the, the casino's risk there is they're just going to lose that, that that one unit, that one bet, and they'll just pay it out. They'll never hear about that. But this one was a little bit crazy because, you know, $100 to turn it into 80000 that's a lottery hit. You know, I, I don't like the precedent that sets – I think that – um that there should be detailed regulation, detailed rules on how issues like this are handled. I don't think that the the sports book should say what the correct odds were because that's too subjective. And I think that you know they could decide whatever the quote unquote correct odds are. Who the hell are they to say what the correct odds are? You know, it's not you know after the fact. Once the game starts, whatever the odds are, the odds are. But I think there should be a panel or maybe a, a, a several sports books where you kind of get a consensus line and and pay off on that line and then somehow punish the sports book for for the infraction there, there, you can't just you know there has to be a punishment where you pay the guy x number uh, x times the amount bet or or something you know i'm just speaking off the top of my head what i think you know i don't know what the, the regulation is but um you don't want the sports book to go bankrupt but you don't want the sports book to cry bad line all the time so it's got to be somewhere in the middle yeah i think it's just one of the Many issues to come for the newly regulated market in the U.S., so I guess we'll see more and more of these unique cases popping up and, and being handled each time. So did you make the right call uh, leaving Deutsche Bank with a nice salary and nice office job, or do you think uh, if you had your time again, you might you might choose the office? Given how everything worked out, I wouldn't change anything. I think I did make the right call. You know, I, I I have no regrets. It was it was it was a good run, and you know, I'm, I'm not, it's not like I'm retiring or anything like that. But I spent you know, 
back then I, I wasn't, I was working a hundred hours a week. I didn't take a day off really. And I wasn't winning any husband of the year awards. I wasn't winning any father of the year awards. So now I kind of like let my guys do most of the stuff and I'm kind of trying to, you know, sit back a little bit and kind of enjoy it. You know what I mean? Enjoy life. And I want to work to live, not live to work type thing. Before I let you go, I just want to confirm the best way to, to follow you is at Spanky Sports on Twitter. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. You know, reach out to me, Spanky Sports. I, and I, this time of year, I don't tweet as much, um, but I still try to find a way to do it every now and again. I'm, I'm so busy with the sports, and I'm, you know, I'm just trying to. Every Monday is a is as a headache. You know, we're we're getting kicked out of so many places all the time, and I'm trying to get different places to play into. It's a revolving door. You just got to keep the uh, keep the the number of, of of places to bet into alive. And um, it's 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 that's the hard part. The winning has become the easy part. It's finding a place to get down. That that's become the challenge, and that's that's what it always is now. Certainly, very much appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Jake, man, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me.